All right, if you have your Bibles there, on your phones, on the seat in front of you, or your own personal one, uh, open up to Daniel chapter 9. We're going to be reading the first 19 verses. If you're flipping through the Bible, flick through. Ezekiel's a massive book, so you can't really miss it when you're flicking. Daniel's the very next one. So Daniel 9, verses 1 to 19. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over, Babylon, over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commandments and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers and all the peoples of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster will come upon us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away uh, your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sin and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. 
O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Um, please keep that part of the Bible open in front of you. If you're not a regular tonight church, you may not know that what we usually do is we work our way through books of the Bible at church, and that's what we're doing. We're nearing the end of Daniel, um, and tonight we're just looking at chapter 9. So let's pray as we look at God's word. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we look at Daniel chapter 9 now, we pray that you would speak to our hearts as you show us the truth of your word. Lord, we pray that we would see Jesus clearly We pray that we would understand the need for us um, to repent and put our trust in Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. It's not always easy to say that you're sorry. Not always easy to apologise. And I think that's often because of our pride that gets in the way. Sometimes it might be, though, you you just don't want to admit fault. You don't want to admit that you've done something wrong. Or perhaps you don't want to take responsibility for what has been caused. Or maybe it's hard to say sorry because you really, really do not want to change. You want to keep doing what you're doing. Or maybe you want the other person to understand and appreciate the way they've hurt you, the damage they've done, the damage they've inflicted on you. And so you're not going to say sorry for your part until you know how it works. It can be really hard for us to say sorry for all those reasons and for more reasons. As you grow older, I think you get to a point where Um, you realise there's kind of an efficiency just to say sorry. Because if you can say sorry, just put an end to the argument and stop the conflict. But those sorries, they're not real, are they? They're not genuine apologies. A real sorry is more difficult. A real sorry begins with a genuine recognition and an acceptance of your guilt that you've done wrong. It begins with an appreciation of the damage and the hurt you've caused. And a real sorry comes with a willingness to change to be different. That's what a real sorry is like. And yeah, they're few and far between, but when a real sorry comes, it is fantastic for the person who's being apologised to. And it's also very, very good for the person who's making the apology, isn't it? You know that. You've been there. What we have here in Daniel chapter 9 is an example of a genuine apology. And it's an apology that Daniel makes to God. He says sorry to God. Daniel prays a prayer of confession to God, confessing his own wrongdoing toward God and also the wrongdoing of his people, the people of Israel. Daniel, he shows a true appreciation of the need for forgiveness. And I think as you look at it, there's a willingness to change. But above all, what he does is he throws himself at God's mercy, throws himself at God's mercy and prays that God would be glorified in all this. So the passage, as we look at it, yeah, I think it gives us lessons to learn about confession, about repentance. It's a passage, too, that causes you to think about God's character, what he's like, his mercy, his determination to fulfill his plans, his determination to see himself glorified. And when you look across the chapter, it falls into kind of two parts. They're uneven, but the bit that was read for us by Steve just now is the first part. So verses 1 to 19, it's the prayer that Daniel makes that he says. And then in verses 20 to 27, you have the second part of the passage, and it's a really rapid answer that comes from God. 
And the answer to Daniel's prayer, what it does is it takes the focus beyond Daniel's concern. Daniel wants to see his people back in Jerusalem, restoring Jerusalem, rebuilding Jerusalem. But what the answer to the prayer does is it takes the focus off that return and puts the focus on the real problem behind this exile, the sin cycle that's led to the exile. Whereas Daniel appears to be longing to see Jerusalem restored, God has a bigger, bigger plan um, to see a more complete restoration by dealing with sin. But let's start with the prayer itself. So if you're looking at verses 1 to 19, there's kind of the introductory stuff you've got to understand in verses 1 to 3. Daniel and his friends, they've been in exile. That means they've been away from home. They've been in exile for a very long time. God let the Babylonians take the people of Israel away into exile because of their sins, because of their parents' sins and because of their grandparents' sins. Um, If Daniel didn't fully understand this before, he understands it now. He can see that all this has happened because God is punishing their sin. Um, The reality and the significance of what his people have done has become clear to Daniel as he's been reading the Bible, as he's been reading Jeremiah, the prophet, and as he's been reading Moses. Many, many, many years before this exile in Babylon, God's people, the people of Israel, they were made to wander in the desert for 30 years. You know about that from the Old Testament, reading um, in the Old Testament, you know they wandered around the desert for, 30, uh, for 40 years because after God saved them out of Israel, uh, out of Egypt, made them his people, got them to the promised land, they wouldn't go in. They failed to obey. They failed to trust and obey. And so God made them wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until a whole generation had died off. And after that 40 years, Moses played his part in seeing the people renew their covenant with God. And then Joshua led them into the land. And the people, though, continued to do what they'd just done. They turned away from God. They disobeyed God. And so God sent his prophets to call them back to him. But again and again they sinned. And this horrible sin cycle just kept going on. Eventually, God allowed the Assyrians to come in and conquer the northern half of Israel and take them all away, obliterate the nation. And then he allowed the Babylonians to come in and conquer Judah and Jerusalem. And the people of Judah... And Jerusalem, they're taken into exile in Babylon and there's this tiny little remnant back in Jerusalem with a puppet king over them. But this time, you compare this with the wandering in the desert, the 40 years in the desert, this is longer. This is more substantial. There's, there's, let's face it, there's barely a nation there. They don't have God dwelling among them in the tabernacle. They don't have the pillar of cloud and fire leading them around. They're cut off. As we saw in um, our first talk in Daniel, Daniel and his friends are a long way from home in every way that you can possibly think of. They're being made to speak a foreign language and serve a foreign king. And over the years, Daniel's had time, time to think this through, to think of this and to read the Bible and to go over what Moses said would happen if the people broke the covenant. Um, If they failed to keep the covenant that God made with them at Sinai. And Daniel's also had time to read the message of the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah was one of, if you're in Daniel's day, he was one of the most recent prophets around the time that people were were heading into exile. And clearly what Jeremiah spoke has been written down and made its way through to Daniel and he's been reading it. And Jeremiah's message, it gives Daniel, well, cause to pray, cause to hope. So if you look at chapter 9, verse 1, it says there that um, it's the first year of King Darius the Mede. And we've already met him. In Daniel, haven't we? The book of Daniel falls into two halves. The first half is all those history, you know, classic catches looking through the history, 
and then the second half is the visions and this prayer. Um, Darius, you met him back in the end of chapter 5. Remember Belshazzar comes after Nebuchadnezzar, has no regard for God, and God sends his hand that writes on the wall, and that very night takes the kingdom away from Belshazzar and gives it to Darius, the Mede. That's this Darius. In chapter 6, you hear about Darius and how Daniel rose to power under Darius. Darius trusted him, and because Daniel was so responsible and given so much authority, the satraps and the administrators became jealous and caused Darius to make a, a rule that meant Daniel would be thrown to the lions. And I wonder whether this prayer that Daniel prays here in chapter 9, I wonder if it was one of the prayers he prayed on, on the floor in his room, looking out through the open windows towards Jerusalem back in chapter 6. So 9 verse 2 says, Daniel was reading the writings of Jeremiah the prophet when he discovered that the desolation of Jerusalem would last for 70 years. This time of exile, it'll finish. It'll come to the end. Um, to save you looking up, Jeremiah, if you were to look at chapter 25, this may have been one of the verses that, or passages that Daniel was reading. Jeremiah 25 verse 10 I'll banish them, I'll banish, sorry, I'll banish from them, from Israel, the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sounds of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Now it may have been Jeremiah saying it'll be a literal 70 years, but certainly even if it's symbolic, it's a period of time. It's longer than the 40 years of wandering in the desert, but it will end. And then when you look at the next verse, verse 12, but when the 70 years are fulfilled, I'll punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it and make it desolate forever. So imagine Daniel reading these words from Jeremiah the prophet, appreciating that this whole time in exile has, been, has happened because God's punishing their sin, but it will end. It will finish. Daniel, by this point, would be getting on in years. If it's, 70, if it's towards the end of 70 years, maybe if he was 15, when he, he's getting on, isn't he? He's on his walker and he's looking, out, looking over the Bible and realising that this could come to an end. I wonder too if he's got, as you look through this prayer, you'll see he talks about what Moses says. I wonder if he's got Deuteronomy in mind. I wonder if he's got this part of Deuteronomy in chapter 30. Um, Deuteron uh, Moses, it, it sounds like in verses 13 to 15 that he may have this in mind as he reflects on what Moses says um, because Daniel understands he needs to turn back to God. So in Deuteronomy 30 we read, when all these blessings and curses have been set before, that I've set before you come upon you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart, and with all your soul, according to everything I commanded you today, then the Lord will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations. It's Moses looking ahead to the time when they're scattered and saying, if you come back to God, he will restore you. So in the first year of King Darius, the Mede, Daniel realises the significance of the people's sin. He understands that what they're enduring in Babylon is happening because they failed to listen to God, they failed to obey God. And as he's been reading Jeremiah and thinking on, on Moses, Daniel knows the time of the exile will finish. And then you've got the political times. You think about what's just happened. Um, the Medes and the Persians have come in and conquered the Babylonians. 
taken their kingdom away. Babylon's been defeated, just as God said would happen. So all that remains is for the people to turn back to God, doesn't it? To call on him for mercy. Um, in growth group this week, we were talking about this, and you know that, that whole question of why do you pray? Because if God's got a plan, and clearly he does, and if God's going to do what he's going to do, then what's the point in us praying? It's a helpful thing to think through because it makes you think about the relevance of our own prayer, doesn't it? Why do we pray? But don't lose sight of the fact that what we're looking at here in Daniel 9 is an apology. It's Daniel saying sorry to God. It's Daniel showing that he understands what's happened. He acknowledges his sin. This prayer is Daniel pointing out how he himself and his people have not listened to God, how they've disobeyed, and he's saying a genuine sorry. You need to do that, don't you? Yeah, sure, God's got his plan. He's going to make things happen, but you need to say sorry. It's the way it works. Um, Prayer more general is important too because stopping what you're doing and acknowledging that God's in control It's a right and fit and proper thing to do. Um, Praying that God would do things his way, that his will would be done. It's appropriate for you to do. And let's face it, we will never know until we're sitting around um, God in heaven one day. We'll never know whether God, you know, changed his plan because of what you prayed or not. That's not the point. The point is it is right and proper to speak with God, to pray to God. And in this case to say sorry, a real sorry, a genuine sorry. Um, This is a real sorry kind of prayer, the kind of sorry that is hard to make. Look at how earnest Daniel is about it in verse 3, so 9 verse 3. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. This is Daniel genuinely affected by what he's done to God, by ignoring God, not listening to God. He's earnestly confessing. And look at what he is begging with God. Look at how, what he begs. So in verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong. We've been uh, wicked and have rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. He's acknowledging all that he and his people have done. Or we'll go down in verse 10, 11, you'll see it again, confessing that they haven't listened, they haven't obeyed. Verse 10, we've not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us like the fact that here we are in exile so far away from Jerusalem. It's been destroyed. This prayer is a real sorry. It's a genuine, genuine confession and you know sometimes it can take forever it can take ages for us to really accept what we've done the wrong we've done it can take years for the seriousness of our wrongdoing to sink home in the meantime we can you know ignore it push it to one side justify it um, downplay it it can take years for the seriousness of our wrongdoing to sink home here for Daniel whether or not he understood it before he understands now exactly what he's done And Daniel admits his guilt and admits also that God is right. In contrast to us humans who sin, God's faultless 
God's faithful. And all through this prayer of confession, you notice Daniel praising God's character. God's done exactly what he said he would do. God's been perfectly consistent. So through the prayer, you see Daniel praising God. For example, in verse 4, he praises God for keeping his covenant. God didn't change or break his side of the covenant. Or in verse 7, you see that Daniel declares God's righteous, means God's perfect, he's good. Or down in verse 9, he praises God for being merciful and forgiving um, because time and time again, that's what he's done. He's shown mercy. And in verse 15, Daniel acknowledges the way that God saved his people out of Egypt, made them his own, his own special people, and he praises God for that. This, this prayer of confession, it praises God time and again. And Daniel's request for mercy and forgiveness, it's actually based on who God is. His plea for forgiveness is based on who God is, not on what he's like. So if you follow the logic of the prayer, it goes like this. Verses, five to, uh, sorry, verses 4 to 10. In verses 4 to, to 10 or into 11, um, Daniel admits wrong. He admits the, 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 the reality of his sin and his people's sin. Then from the next part of verse 11 through to verse 14, he acknowledges that God's righteous and God has done the right thing in judging them like he has. And then in verses 15 to 19, he pleads for mercy. And as he pleads for mercy, it's appeal for mercy that's based on who God is based on God's character, not the character of the Israelites. Um, Daniel's not saying, we're better now. He's not saying, we won't do this again. He's not saying that at all. He's saying, God, please forgive us because of who you are, not because of who we are. His appeal for mercy is based on the fact that God is merciful. Um, Daniel prays, um, God, you're, you're righteous. You're merciful, you're loving, so please be merciful to us. Please be kind. We don't deserve it, but please. It's the same kind of you know, real sorry prayer that we ought to pray to God, isn't it? Um, look at the second half of verse 18. It actually, it might be the first half of verse 18. It goes like this. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous but because of your great mercy. We're not asking you, God, to forgive us because we deserve it, but because you're merciful. Daniel's saying, forgive us because... He's not saying forgive us because we've repented. He's saying, just forgive us, please, because you're kind, you're merciful. Um, it can be easy, I think, for us, you know, a long time later, looking back at the behaviour of the Israelites, the fact that they just kept continually rejecting God, ignoring God, getting punished. It's easy for us to look back and be shocked at their stupidity and their repeated, um, their repeated sin. But then you stop and you think, well, it's very easy for us to be exactly like that, to be exactly the same, um, to keep ignoring our sin, trying to cover it up rather than admitting to it. And when we attempt to live our life without God in it, when we t attempt to live our life with us, the boss of it, we're doing exactly what Israel did. We're, we're, we're rejecting God. And our sin and our hard-heartedness is just like theirs. And so let's face it, when you look around us at our nation, Australia, we're all like that, aren't we? We're all attempting to live life without God in control. And so perhaps this prayer deep in the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 9, perhaps this prayer in Daniel 9 is the alarm bell we need, the wake-up call. 
to help us see that it's time to confess our sin to God, just like Daniel did. So don't, don't wait until you're good enough. Don't wait until you feel like you deserve to ask God for forgiveness because you'll never get there. Throw yourself at God's mercy based on his character, who he is, not what you might be able to do. Um, Daniel's plea for mercy, it's also based on something else too. So if you look again at verse 18 and into verse 19, this, this appeal for mercy, it's also based on God's plans perhaps. Have a look at verse 18. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. This is your city that this has happened to, that you've had to judge like this. Um, he goes on, we do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. And then verse 19, O Lord, listen, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, hear and act for your sake, for your sake, God, not ours, for your sake, O my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. This is an appeal for mercy based on the fact that, yeah, God's merciful, and what happens to God's people reflects on God and his plans and his purposes. He made these people his own. He called them out of nowhere and called them his people, Israel. And what happens to them reflects on him. And so Daniel's saying, have mercy on us because it's your plan. We're your people. Do this for your sake and your glory. Um, in the New Testament, when because we, we're New Testament people, we're, we're, we're not, most of us, I don't think, are descended from Israel. We're Gentiles, we're non-Israelites. When you get to the New Testament, you discover that, yeah, even us, us Gentiles, we also are part of God's plan. And then you look back through the Old Testament, you see that was always the way. Gentiles were always included in God's plan. And for us as Gentiles, we too need to be obedient to God, like Israel. We too need to listen to God and obey God. Um, you can see it all through the, the, the Bible, but if you look, for example, at Romans 1 verses Five. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Romans. It's almost not the point he's making, but when you look at 1 verse 5, you read, Through him, through Jesus, and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Paul is an apostle to the Gentiles to call people to be obedient to Jesus. That's how we become part of God's plan. Responding to the gospel, it's a matter of obedience. Accepting the truth about Jesus is being obedient to God. And we do this for Jesus' sake, for his name's sake, in order to see Jesus glorified. Because God's glorified when he has his people in his place under his rule, just like you see with Israel back here in Daniel 9. And when God's people are in his place under his rule, then it's God who's glorified because he's made it all happen. There's another verse to think about in Romans, and that's ahead in Romans 6, verse 23, where you, where you read, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, we battle with sin, just like Israel did. Um, the sin of ignoring God, not obeying him, pushing him out of our lives. But God has a plan to see people repent, to come back to him, and he will forgive. He will call us in. So confess your sin, the sin of not listening to God the sin of ignoring God and appeal to God for forgiveness based on who he is and what his plans are, his plan to have a people forgiven and living for him. Um, this is, in Daniel 9, it's, it's, the, it's the real sorry, the sorry that's come from the heart. And it's the kind of sorry that we make as 
people who want to live for Jesus. When you become a Christian, you say sorry like this. And it's the kind of prayer that as Christians you keep praying as you confess your sin to God. So back to chapter 9 of Daniel. Daniel prays this earnest prayer um, to our merciful God, a prayer of confession for not listening and obeying. It's an appeal for mercy based on God's character and God's plans. And then the amazing thing is in the second half of this passage, or the second bit of this passage, from verse 20 on, you get an answer to the prayer. It's not always you get an answer to your prayer, and certainly not as quick as this one. This is a rapid answer. So verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God on his holy hill, for his holy hill, for Jerusalem, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in an earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. While Daniel's praying, the answer comes. The messenger, Gabriel, comes with the answer. Verse 23, you see, Gabriel was sent on his way as soon as Daniel started praying. It's an instant answer to prayer, which is pretty amazing. But the answer to Daniel's prayer, it's mixed. There's a long and a short answer. The short answer is what Daniel wants to hear, the decree to return to Jerusalem and start restoring Jerusalem. It's going to be issued. You see that in verse 25. And it was under Cyrus. Cyrus did issue the decree that enabled Jerusalem to be rebuilt. The long answer, though, is that rebuilding Jerusalem isn't the end of it. The return from exile won't bring an end to sin, but the end to sin will come. And before that happens, there's a lot of bits and pieces that need to take place. So you pick it up from verse 23 towards the end of verse 23. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy one, or it might say in your version, the most holy place. When you look at verse 24, it's a description of the end of sin. Everlasting righteousness. The end of prophecy and God needing to speak, there's nothing more to be said. Everything's put right. And that will happen, the beginning of the verse there, after 77s. 77s. 490? 77s. The word sevens is a bit of a tricky word because it's the word in Hebrew, it can mean seven, it can mean Sabbath, it can mean a week. In some places, it even means a year. So Jeremiah said that the exile would end after 70 years. Gabriel's message is, yeah, it will. But the end of sin will be a lot longer time in coming. It'll be 77s. Um, Daniel, for him, he can see the end of the exile is upon him. But God's answer is, look ahead, there's more to come. God has a greater plan beyond the restoration of Israel, a more complete restoration plan. Then you look at some of the details in verses 25 to 27 and try to unpack it. So there's 77s. They'll come in stages. In verse 25, there's seven sevens. And then there's 62 sevens. Seven sevens and 62 sevens and 69 sevens, where after 70, there's seven left, isn't there? In verse 26, at the end of the 62 seven stuff happens, in verse 27, there's that last seventh, the 70th seven, and it comes in two parts. The details in verses 25 to 27, they sound a lot like the apocalyptic visions you've seen in chapters 7 and 8, because they are. 
And Christians have disagreed and argued over these verses heaps and heaps. And they're going to continue to disagree because we're not given an explanation, are we? Elsewhere, you see a vision and you're told, and this is what it means. We're not given that, are we? So you're left to guess. But as you look at it, it's God saying, look beyond the exile. Look beyond the end of the exile. Yeah, Jerusalem will be restored, but there's a bigger plan. And you look at it and it's ordered and it's purposeful and it's working to a time frame. It's God in control. He will deal with sin. Um, We know from outside Daniel, we know from the books of Ezra and Nehemiah that it was Cyrus who issued the decree for the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and that they did rebuild Jerusalem. They did rebuild the temple. There was nothing on the previous one. We know from in the New Testament that the problem of sin will be dealt with when Jesus comes, but we know that it's, we're still waiting for Jesus to return, for him to consummate his rule as king over everything. It's an ongoing process. With all that knowledge, you can come back to these verses and unravel them and try to understand. But as you do that, take care. Take care not to lose sight of the main point. The answer to Daniel's prayer is, yes, God will show mercy, Daniel. The remnant will return. They will restore Jerusalem. But there's more to be done. Sin needs to be dealt with. The very problem that caused you to be in exile in the first place needs to be dealt with. So keep persevering. Keep trusting. Keep hoping. Because God has a plan to deal with sin. How does this part of Daniel help us, do you think? It ought to help us think about prayer, shouldn't it? It ought to help us think about real sorries, real forgiveness, real repentance. I've tried to show you that along the way. Um, Daniel understood the seriousness of his rebellion against God. He understood the need for repentance. So the question for us is, yet do we understand our own need for repentance? If you want to think about that some more, open up Romans. We won't do it now, but open up Romans. Start reading from verse 18 and look at how the Apostle Paul describes the way humans suppress the truth about God, deny the truth about God, make up all sorts of rubbish and chase after that. And God will judge all that. Do you see, being a follower of Jesus, it's about being obedient to God, to stop suppressing the truth, to say sorry to God and ask for forgiveness. And so I guess the question for us is, have you prayed a real prayer of repentance like that? The kind of sorry that doesn't come easy. And the question for all of us is, do you keep praying those prayers, confessing your sin to God? There's a lot of language people use to describe becoming a Christian, which is language that's not particularly helpful. The idea of you know, inviting Jesus into your heart, it kind of misses the point. Becoming a Christian is about obedience. It's about acknowledging Jesus as king and being obedient to him. And the encouraging thing is, If we ask God for forgiveness, based on his character, he will forgive. I mean, he's given his son to make it possible. Look at um, Daniel 9, verse 18. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. That's a huge encouragement for us. We can confess our sins to God knowing that he will forgive us, not because we are worthy, but because of his merciful character. He's working to a plan, a plan to see everything under Jesus. And God's plan, it's, it will happen. So for us, how much better would it be if we obediently bow the knee to Jesus and become part of that plan the easy way? 
Um, so if you had a sermon outline, you'd see the last point there. We need to pray our own earnest prayer, like Daniel's. A prayer of confession for not listening to God and not obeying him. And we need to pray the kind of prayer that's an appeal to God for mercy based on his character and his plans. And as we pray that kind of prayer, we pray it filled with hope and reassurance, knowing that God will hear our prayer, just like he heard Daniel's prayer. Let's have a go at praying now. Um, I'll lead us in prayer together. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for your righteousness. We praise you for your sovereign power over everything. We thank you that you are faithful, consistent and loving. We thank you that you are a merciful God, that you are kind. We thank you that you are quick to forgive. Lord, we're sorry for our disobedience. We're sorry for not listening to you, for not obeying you. Please forgive us and please change us to live for you. We thank you for sending Jesus to die our death. Thank you for raising him to life, giving us the hope of sharing eternal life with you. Lord, we pray that Jesus would return soon and we pray that we would be found living for him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.